So make my joy complete by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know if you remember the first time that you played Limbo, but I bet you thought it was pretty fun. And why did you find it really fun? Well, you found it really fun because it was amazing to, say, to see the extents and levels to which people would contort themselves and how low they would go and look silly just to win in a game. That's what Paul's writing about in his epistle of the Philippians. How low will you go to win, to just get your way, to do whatever you have to do? And who cares if you have to look silly? And even if, who cares if you have to look ugly in front of other people? You're going to do it and you're going to win. Well, here's the thing. Paul is writing this letter to the first uh, European church plant, if you will. So our church is about 40 years old in terms of when the first idea for this church came about. And then when we actually finally achieved parish down, it was about 30-some years. Um, but Paul's writing this from the prison of the Praetorian Guard from Caesar's household. You can actually look at the end of Philippians. It says, those from the household of Caesar say hi. He's in prison writing it to his first European church plant. So it's probably about 20 years into him having planted this church. In fact, most of us are here because of that first European church plant. Before that, all the other churches were in Asia Minor. They were in first century Israel, and they were in Egypt, in Antioch. This was the first church that was ever planted to Europe. And Paul's dealing with what every church has. Well, some disagreements. He's saying, I'd like you all to have the same mindset. Be in one accord. So how do you do that? How do you all get in one accord? You can do it artificially. You can say, hey, start playing limbo and, and, and contort yourself, and, and, and then that'll work. But here's what Paul tells us. He tells us three things. He says, we're all unwell. He says, what would, what would healthy look like? And then he says, how do we get healthy? So we're all unwell. Uh, what do I mean by that? Um, so, you know, how many of y'all play pickleball or play a sport, right? I know there's some of y'all that play pickleball here, right? But if tomorrow you rocked up to your friends that play pickleball and you just walked and you said, man, my elbow is feeling great today, everyone would look at you and say, what are you on about? Why are you talking about your elbow? Why do people say, wow, my elbow is feeling well? Well, it's because your elbow wasn't feeling well. Like right now, how many of y'all are actually thinking about your elbow? Nobody. You don't notice it when it's working well. That's the whole thing that Paul is trying to deal with here. We only notice egos when they're not working well. Like all you got to do is flip on the TV and look at the news, right? Or all you guys turn on Facebook or Instagram or whatnot, and you're already looking at egos, right? We only notice egos when they're not working well. We're all unwell is what Paul's saying. And here's the thing. So we don't know exactly what was going on in Philippi, but after 20 years, I mean, he, he kind of throws something out in like chapter 4. He's like, I really would ask that this person, the Erodian Syntyche, I ask that you two would get together and just agree with each other. So here's the thing. You know, in this church, you might be sitting next to someone in the in the pew that, you know, they kind of annoy you. But on our website, it says, all are welcome. We welcome you. Do you welcome the person right next to you? 
I mean, that's what Paul says in Romans 12. Like, welcome one another as God in Christ has welcomed you. Like, did you ever start a new job? How did that feel? Did you feel welcome? Did you feel loved? Did you, have you ever um, moved to a new, new neighborhood? How did that feel? Were you welcomed? Were you not welcomed? And Paul's saying that right here. He's like, I want you to let everybody feel welcome. Because guess what? You only notice your elbow when it's not working, right? And the whole point of this, it says that in verses 1 through 3. Do nothing out of selfishness or conceit. Now, I like the King James Version. You know, you might be like, what? We don't do the right one here. Why would we not do King James? But here's what it says in that word conceit. You know what the word is in, in the King James? And the King James is actually way more literal for its translation of the word in Greek. Do nothing out of vain glory. Do nothing, the, the actual literal Greek is do nothing out of empty glory. And you know what? What that's telling us, we're all unhealthy. Why? Because we're all hungry for glory. The word glory simply means weight, significance, meaning. We are all hungry for significance. And you know, some of us that are a little bit more advanced in age, and some of us that are a little bit less advanced in age, those that are more advanced and actually also not just more advanced, but also more wise, because age doesn't always bring wisdom. Um, but here's the thing. We tend to realize that if, you, if, if I ask my 14-year-old daughter versus 46 me, she, she would think she's probably going to live forever, right? I realize I'm probably not going to live forever. My knees have started creaking, right? Just like those elbows, right? But the point is, is that we all realize that maybe after a few years, we'll just be forgotten. Maybe that little dash between, you know, birth and death, that little dash, because that's all that's going to be on my tombstone, that's going to sum up the rest of my life. Is that it? We're all glory hungry, Paul says. We're all glory hungry. And so, as the author Lewis Mead says, every time you meet a person, you're always weighing them up. Maybe not consciously, but subconsciously. What will they do to enhance me? What will they do to make me forget about that I'm glory hungry? But Paul's saying, that's what unhealthy looks like. Healthy looks like what it says there in verses 4 through, six, four through 5, which is, do nothing out of self-interest, but look to the interests of others. So what, what, would, what would something healthy look like? And that's, that's the second part that Paul wants us to look at here. What would healthy look like? Now, um, I remember when I was at Keller Army Hospital, uh, which is there at West Point, you know, there, there's this story that one of my buddies went there, and they gave him a Sharpie pen because they had to do, they had to scope his knee. So he drew on one of his knee, this knee, and then he had to draw on the other one, not this knee, right? You laugh, but wouldn't it be bad if, like, you actually worked on something that weren't broken, and you left what was broken just totally fine. But what would a healthy knee look like? What would a healthy ego look like? What would a healthy me look like? What would a healthy you look like? And um, here's the thing. It would be humility, right? A healthy ego would be something that's humble. When you look at the list of virtues that the Romans and the Greeks had, and they had a list of vices and virtues, if you read Plato or Aristotle. And then you read the list of vices and virtues that the New Testament has. You would have never found the word humility in the list of virtues for a Roman or a Greek person. 
Humility is what slaves did. Meekness, obsequiousness. Oh, that's what slaves do. No, no. But actually, healthy is when you are humble. And, and actually, have you ever met a humble person? I mean, well, you probably have. Um, but you, didn't go up, you don't go up to them and say, wow, you're so humble. Will you please tell me the secret? Because, well, we'll get to that because how do we get healthy, right? Because the, the humble person would tell you how to get there. But the point is, is that humility is the opposite of self-consciousness or even self-awareness, right? So it's not thinking a lot more about yourself. Oh, wow, I got all these flaws. I really got to work on them, right? That's self-consciousness. Or even the self-awareness of like, oh, maybe I just, if I don't think about myself, then I'll be fine. Real humility is self-forgetfulness, which is completely different than self-awareness or self-consciousness. In fact, humility is a byproduct of wanting something more than wanting to be humble. That's what health looks like. It's, it's when it's just a byproduct. It just flows out. Like, it, it's, it's the whole thing that Paul says. Once you've received Christ, you've received the Spirit, what do you start producing? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, meekness, gentleness, and self-control. My, my little three-and-a-half-year-old, when I put her to bed, um, she has this routine. She said, rub my back, Dad. Okay, now rub my nose. And then she goes, now I have to say the fruits of the Spirit, Dad. And she recites every single one of those before she goes to bed. And then she sometimes adds, like, and, and, and batteries and energy. But, you know, she gets, the, she gets the fruit plus a few more. But the point is that that's what it looks like to look like Jesus. Like, that's what it means to be Christ-like. For, for you to reflect that, for me to reflect that, that's what health looks like. So how do we get there? And this is the last point. So if we're all unwell, but we know what healthy looks like, how do we get there? So if you've ever had a friend who was humble and you asked them, how do you get humble? You know what? They couldn't tell you because the moment that they tell you how they got there they're going to cease to be humble. So how do we do this? And Paul gives us this amazing way of doing it. Verses 5 through 7. He says this. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be exploited, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of humanity. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every other name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the heaven. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul's writing to these Philippians, and he's wanting to address something. He wants them to get along. He wants them to not be so glory-hungry that they can actually be of use to other people. And then you're thinking to yourself, well, Paul, instead of giving me practical steps like step one, do this, step two, do that, step three, you didn't give me a good how-to. All you did was you went to a theological discourse? I mean, seriously, Paul, that's completely unhelpful. Like, you're a horrible life coach, Paul, is what the, the readers of this are probably thinking, right? But actually, he's not being a horrible life coach. He's trying to get them to focus on something other than themselves. And here's the thing. 
he starts talking about Jesus. And if you look at, if, if, you, if you brought your own Bibles or if you go look it up later on, you'll see that verses 5 through 11 are actually structured like poetry. Because either Paul wrote this or he's actually quoting an even earlier hymn from an early, this is one of the earliest hymns that the church has. It's called the Christ hymn. Um, and we don't notice it because it's in English, but if you were to read it, it would be a bit like this. Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers, right? It would totally alliterate, and it would rhyme. In the Greek, it rhymes. So it's absolutely a hymn. And from the first 20 years of the church, they were already worshiping Jesus as divine. And Paul's saying, stop looking at yourself. Even stop looking at other people and comparing yourself. Look at Jesus, and that's going to focus everything. And what does he say? You see, striving to live a humble life is still very proud. But laying aside what is rightfully yours is absolutely humble. I mean, think about that. God, Jesus, though being in the very form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. That word grasped is, is used in the Iliad. It's what, the, what soldiers would do. They would grab something and use it and exploit it for their own purposes. And he says, even though in the form of God, he didn't use that or exploit it and say, hey, I'm God, worship me. What did he do? He humbled himself. And even on that last night before he goes to the cross, what does he do? He takes off his, his outer robe, leaves nothing but his inner garments on, and washes his disciples' feet. Jesus humbles himself, not just to the point of washing feet, but even becoming obedient, even death. Death on a cross, and therefore God highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every other name. I love that. You see, humility is, is a byproduct of something, more than just wanting to be humble. And Paul does this amazing play on words. Verse 3, do nothing out of conceit, vain glory, right? Empty glory. But later on he goes on to say, but Christ emptied himself. The whole antidote to self-centeredness, to conceit, to vainglory, to all this striving and all this fighting is to actually fix your eyes on Jesus who emptied himself of all of his divine rights. He had every right. And he said, you know what? I'm not coming to earth to get glory. I'm coming to earth to give glory. To give you glory. And that's why, you know, we, we have this time frame. Our birth date and our death date and a little dash in between. You can go to the catacombs in Rome. And just like Paul was sitting waiting to be executed by the Praetorian guards, we have some graffiti from the early Christians in that first century. And there's this thing that they found and it's, it's just scratched into the walls of the catacombs. And it says, Vita, Vita, Vita. Life, life, and life. Because you see, the thing is that when you realize that, you're no longer going to be glory hungry and needing to squeeze every little drop out of life. You'll be able to stand and, and face life and all of its challenges. You'll be able to take insults from people. You'll be able to take things not going your way and you won't worry about that because Jesus Christ has punched a hole into death and brought forth resurrection, not only for himself, but for all of us. And that is our hymn. All of us go down into the grave 
but in our, in our grave, our sound is still alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. So, Lord, we thank you for your great condescension. And, Lord, we ask that we would have that same attitude that was in Christ Jesus, who being in the very form of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself and made himself of no repute, taking the form of a servant. So, Lord, we ask that you would give us that amazing amount of humility and that amazing amount of love, that we would know how loved we are, that you went to the cross to love us and rescue us and give us new life. We ask this all in Christ's strong name. Amen.